0: Welcome to Patient Stories. My name is Dr. Bertrand Liang, and these are episodes about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. I'm always amazed how smart my colleagues are. I never really knew how old Mr. N was, even from the start of our interactions together. While his chart clearly articulated his year of birth, it was almost for certain quite wrong, as it suggested that he was in his 30s while he looked much older, And even he admitted that this was just a made-up number that had been promulgated throughout the years. In fact, Mr. N noted that he didn't really even know the year he was born, nor a specific birth date. So he'd always just used what he'd seen when he snuck over the border many years ago from Texas. A license plate on an older car noting 1959CVY, presumably a 1959 Chevy, which became January ninth, 1959. In fact, Mr. N actually hailed from Cuba and had made his way up through Central America after landing in Mexico, working in various capacities in areas as diverse as plumbing to building construction, and even waiting tables at establishments, both local and those put in by Western businesses, the latter where he had learned his quite good English, along with much more colorful language, which he almost always used somewhat innocently during our interview. This was quite in contrast to his upbringing, where he was, as he noted, lucky enough to be brought up by nuns up to the age of about twelve, one of many orphan children during the Revolution, with all the inherent uncertainties of the time period. It was at that age when he had struck out on his own and had been living as an itinerant life ever since. Mr. N had come to see me after having been evaluated in a local emergency department for changes in mental status. As I spoke with him, it was clear that his current state was entirely normal, and what he was noting was that he'd, as he'd say, go crazy sometimes, and was seemingly unprovoked, except that he'd have a pain in his legs and his abdomen, usually beforehand. While he'd remember the episode later, it was as if he was in a fog, and so he couldn't really tell me anything except that the pain would be acute, severe, start in his abdomen, and then quickly go into his legs and sometimes his back. When Mr. Ann about any potential causes or stimulating events, the only thing he noted was that the last time he'd been, as he said, having relations, and it occurred once he and his partner were just lying in bed. Unfortunately, he couldn't relate any family history, and his past medical history was only notable for some numbness and tingling in his hands and feet that he'd felt over the past few years, although not particularly bothersome or progressive. It's because I'm from the South, he said, half-jokingly. The North US never warms up. To that, I had to agree. I was beginning to think a lot of what Mr. N had going on was psychiatric in nature. The episodic nature of his changes in mental status, which seemed to be almost amnestic in nature, and somewhat, but not entirely psychotic, really pushed me to think he was having some sort of dissociative state. However, the pain didn't seem to match very well with these symptoms. And I noted that the ED did do films and ruled out some sort of obstruction, but there was no indication of psychologic overlay to his pain. Additionally, the mental status changes seemed to be more emotional, with fits of crying, moaning, but fairly intact ability to converse, as noted by the ED sheets. So, while I thought about this as potentially psychiatric in nature, it still didn't fit together as much as I'd like. Mr. N's exam was interesting, and in that in the ED he'd been noting to have some mild numbness in his feet, although his exam was compromised by the changes in mental status. I could find nothing on his exam that suggested this, and in fact his entire exam was normal. As I checked again the records from the other evaluation where he had this acute event, I noted that he'd had what was described to be involuntary movements of his upper extremities bilaterally. although. It was reported by nurses that he'd seemingly been reasonably coherent at the time. As well, during this time, he was very tachycardic, up to 200 beats per minute periodically, which had prompted putting the patient on temporary monitoring until his heart rate went down below 120. While all of this seemed fairly nonspecific for a patient coming into an emergent setting and not particularly uncommon, I thought it should at least be followed up. The patient noted that in the, the attacks in the past, which were just a handful, he just thought he had a bit too much to drink, although he denied being drunk, or was just sleep deprived. This time, given the environment and the fact that he had this in front of his girlfriend, he decided to seek more assistance despite his undocumented status. I told Mr. N I thought he that was wise and that we try to figure out what was going on as expeditiously as possible. I referred Mr. N to both psychiatry and cardiology and scheduled him for an EEG to assess any potential for a seizure disorder given the movements noted in the ED. While somewhat reluctant to undergo these variety of tests given the lack of insurance, I communicated to the patient that these symptoms were not something to be fooled with and that they needed to be taken very seriously. Mr. N confided in me his particular concern that the last episode had occurred at a particularly salient moment, which allowed me to emphasize once again the need to figure out a solution. Over the next two weeks, I received the results of the EEG, which was entirely normal, and the psychiatry liaison consult, which noted that Mr. N, while having some evidence of a mild depression, otherwise showed no evidence of schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, or other intermittent pathology that could explain his symptoms. However, they did suggest that he should be evaluated for metabolic disorders, which could present with psychiatric symptoms. And indeed, the cardiology fellow, working with psychiatry, ordered a number of tests, including a urine evaluation of certain metabolites of porphobilinogen, which came back positive. Hence, what Mr. N seemed to be suffering from was a rare disease called acute intermittent porphyria, which presents with pain in the abdomen, significant anxiety and paranoia, high heart rates, amongst other symptoms. These symptoms could be precipitated by a number of different things, from diet to medications to physiologic stresses. While this is usually inherited as an autosomal dominant fashion, it can be recessive as well. And given we do not know Mr. N's family history, it was difficult to determine. Upon further questioning, it seemed as if some of his attacks were associated with increased cigarette smoking, and the cardiology fellow noted that Mr. N decided to quit right away after he'd been told of his diagnosis. We referred Mr. N to the genetic disorders clinic who took over his care. On the last visit with me, Mr. N asked again if he thought that having sex was going to be safe for him. I told him that I didn't know specifically but that his past history was suggestive that it had been safe in the past, so potentially it should be safe in the future. Mr. N noted that this was definitely something different than what he thought about when hearing about quote unquote, safe sex. I added that it was also another good reason to quit smoking. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.